Well, good morning. You guys seem lively after that extra hour of sleep today. How many have enjoyed that? Yeah. You're the late crowd. You're supposed to be like, yeah, that was definitely, you know, I got an extra, extra hour. But no, I enjoyed that this morning, my extra hour of sleep, although I don't agree with it because now, you know, it gets darker soon and I hate that. Uh, I think it, what is it, 5, 5.30, it'll be dark now. So it really cuts into my hunting season and uh, being able to get home from work in time to get out to the woods. So that kind of is a bummer. But hopefully you all enjoyed that this morning, your extra hour. And uh, if you would, open your Bibles to John chapter 16 as we continue our series, um, the Travelers, or the, the Traveler's Trail Guide, Navigating the Path of Jesus. And we're going to continue our series in this. I'm excited to be with you guys this morning. My name is John Dalkey. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the Community Outreach Director here at Lake Orion, and uh, it's been a while since I've been able to come and, and be open God's Word with you, but uh, I'm super excited to be here this morning with you to be able to do that, and it's a privilege for me. In our declaration, actually, I want to ask you guys a question first. Where do you find joy? Where do you look for joy? Where do you look for happiness? Is it in relationships? Is it in your job? Is it in accomplishments? What do you look for joy in? Where do you find joy? Where do you find happiness? Because the truth is, is that we all want to be happy, right? We all look for happiness somewhere. We all look for joy somewhere, and we want happiness. In the second sentence of our Declaration of Independence, it says this, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These words make up the second sentence of our Declaration of Independence. In this document, Thomas Jefferson and the other authors' main point is that they had rights which were being violated. Their rights were being violated so much that they felt they must rebel against King George and start their own country. So in this declaration, he mentions a few of those rights. Among these unalienable rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Notice that he doesn't say life, liberty, and happiness. Your rights are not life, liberty, and happiness. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We have to actually pursue it. Meaning that when a human becomes a human being, they have the right to life. When a human becomes a human, they have the right to liberty. In the same way, when a human becomes a human, they have the right to pursue happiness. They have to actually go after it and pursue it. We don't have the right to happiness because that's not how happiness works. We have to find happiness. And this sentence literally kind of helps us into the way that humans are on a search for happiness. They're on a search for joy. We all want joy. We're not born into this world with what we're looking for. You've got to find it. You've got to pursue it. And so my question is, is where are you looking for joy? 
Where are you looking for happiness? This morning we're continuing our sermon series in the Traveler's uh, Trail Guide, Navigating the Path of Jesus. In this series, we, we've been studying John chapter 13 through 16. And this series, or in, in this chapter, is often referred to as the Farewell Discourse. It's uh, the farewell discourse where Jesus is meeting with his disciples in his final moments, and he's trying to teach them, and he's trying to encourage them in his final hour. Because Jesus is about to leave them, he uses this last hour instructing them, encouraging them, so that they'll continue to follow him when he leaves. He wants to help them understand that these are the ways that we want to pursue this, and this is what we need to do, and this is how you can follow me after I'm gone. And in the previous sections of this discourse, Jesus, in the last few weeks, we've, we've looked at these different things, and Jesus has discussed uh, the importance of service and love in the life of his followers. He's talked about facing persecution with endurance and being fruitful through obedience. He's also spoken last week at length about the role of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit helps us. He reveals truth to us. He dwells in us. But the thing is, is despite all of these wonderful things Jesus has taught his disciples, we find them at a place where they're still struggling. They're still struggling. They're still disappointed. They're still discouraged. They're still sad in this moment. Their friend, their rabbi, the person they put their hope in, the person that they've trusted and followed and all these things, literally told them, hey, I'm leaving you, and not only that, you can't come with me yet. And he says, they're discouraged. And last week, we saw 16, or, uh, so twice in this chapter, verse uh, chapter 14, Jesus says, has to encourage them. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. And last week we saw in 16.6 that Jesus says to them, sorrow has filled your hearts. So the disciples are still troubled. They're afraid and they're sorrowful. In other words, they're not happy or joyful. Their pursuit of happiness and their path with Jesus are not aligning right now. So today in our passage, Jesus speaks of a joy that cannot be taken from them. He speaks of a fullness of joy that will meet their heart's desire and beyond. And, and we'll see that the way of Jesus leads to full joy. The way of Jesus leads to full joy. Jesus makes this bold claim that the object of pursuit for every human is him. That the joy comes actually in him. The way of Jesus leads to full joy. So this morning as we're looking or as we're working our way through these verses, we're asking ourselves, where does the path towards joy take us? How do we get there? And the first thing, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but the first thing we see is that the path towards full joy also includes perplexing sorrow. Man, John, that's good news, right? I thought you were going to teach about joy today. Follow Jesus in perplexing sorrow. Look in verse 16 through 20. It says, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were, at, so they were saying, What does it mean? 
by a little while. We do not know what he is talking about. So Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, In this, or is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Here in verse 16, Jesus says that in a little while, the disciples are no longer going to see him. That they're no longer actually going to see him. But then he adds to this here where he says, hey, you're going to see me again, though, in a little while. I dare you to try to read that passage really fast. You'll get really mixed up. The immediate reference to the disciples not seeing Jesus is, is likely referencing to Jesus' is Jesus' uh, um, crucifixion or death. He's literally referring to his crucifixion and death that in the same way when someone we love dies when they go on, we literally don't see them anymore, right? And so he's saying, hey, in a little while, you're not going to see me anymore. But then he adds, he says, hey, in a little while again, you're going to see me again. It's amazing, right? In a little while, and he's referring to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But right now, his disciples, they're confused, they're perplexed. So in verse 17, 18, they're asking one another, what is, what is this guy saying? What is Jesus saying? We don't understand. We're confused. What does he mean? We don't know what he's talking about. We find them confused. So in verse 19, Jesus knows this, and Jesus discerns that they're confused. And so he asks them, is this what you're asking yourselves about when I said, you won't see me, and then you will see me? And then in verse 20, he clarifies for them and gets really honest with them. He says this, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep, you will lament, and the world is going to rejoice. My enemy is going to rejoice about what you're weeping and lamenting about. Now just imagine, for a minute, you're sitting there with Jesus as a disciple. You followed him. You put your hope in him. Man, he, he's the one that you've, he's your rabbi. He's everything to you. And he's told you just now, he's, he's told you numerous times, hey, I'm leaving. You can't go with me. And then he drops this bomb on him. He says, hey, you know what? Also, you're going to weep. You're going to lament. And guess what? Everyone around you is going to rejoice in it. I'm like, thanks, Jesus. Man, that's some really good news, right? Imagine just sitting there, and, and rightfully so, they were confused. They didn't understand. Jesus here is very honest with his disciples. He says, you're not going to see me. I'm going to die. You're going to weep. You're going to lament. You're going to be troubled and afraid and sad. And the world's going to kick you. It's going to laugh at you. It's going to rejoice in this. And you may think, man, well, all of this, yeah, that's great. But we're so far removed from this. There's no more of that now that Jesus has risen and the Spirit's come. Like, there's no more of this. We've moved on from that. But when we read the rest of the New Testament, we find out that that's not simply true, Right? That is not true. In 1 Peter 1, the apostles, or the apostle talks about how Christians are grieved by various trials. 
In Romans 9, 2, the Apostle Paul mentions that he has great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart. The question is, is, do we understand that the path of Jesus, the path to joy includes perplexing sorrow? I think sadly, it seems that maybe we've forgotten that in an effort to emphasize joy in the Lord. Or we've maybe forgotten that to emphasize the hope that we have in the gospel, right? And so you may have people you've talked to and you know they're going through a a deep, sorrowful thing and they're going through a trial and and you ask them how they're doing and they're like, well, praise the Lord, you know, praise the Lord. And they're they're trying to hide this deep down inside, this sorrow, and they don't want you to know about it. Or maybe you're that person and you're just like, well, I'm supposed to have joy. So I'm like, you know what, I'm not sorrowful. God, God is good, like, you know, all these things. And those are true statements. In his book, Good News for Anxious Christians, author, the author uh, Philip Carey writes this, Under much of evangelical teaching, many Christians now feel there must be something wrong with them if they're suffering. Instead of being comforted in their afflictions, they are made to feel guilty because their lives are not going well. It goes something like this, The Christian life is supposed to be an abundant life, a life of victory, So you can't go around telling people that it really hurts inside. People at church may not understand if you start talking as if your life was a failure. You're not really allowed to be sad at heart because everybody says Christians are supposed to have an inner joy deep deep in their hearts, which is always there beneath all the troubles of life. So it can't be that at the center of all your feelings, is a great ball of hurt and suffering, not in, your, or not in if you're a Christian. But right here in chapter 16 with his disciples, Jesus doesn't lie to them. He doesn't try to trick them. He doesn't try to beat around the bush. He says, you will weep, you will lament, you will have sorrow and grief. And then we see in the rest of the New Testament, it shares story after story and gives descriptions of Jesus' disciples as they walked through the rest of their life experiencing just that. And for some of you today, you're experiencing sorrow. You're walking through hard times. You're maybe walked in this morning and you're like, John, man, I am really walking through a hard time. There's affliction, there's, there's a trial that I'm going through, there's sickness, there's whatever it is in your life, and you're walking through, and I know this because there's people that I'm walking through things with in this room, and you're feeling sad or confused like the disciples, you're feeling afflicted, you, you don't understand, you're like asking God why. Just like the disciples, you have questions I know for me, even this week, I, I was in a, a, a very long meeting, three and a half hours, I think it was, and I hate meetings. Um, I really do. And, and I sat in this meeting, and, and we were meeting, I was meeting with um, seven or eight pastors in, in the Oxford area. And uh, we sat in this room at the Resil- Resiliency Center up in Oxford, and uh, we sat there and we were talking about what are we going to do as the church on the 30th of November to honor the students 
and the parents and the community and the teachers and the first responders? What are we going to do as the church to come alongside them on the 30th and remember the tragedy that happened and remember those that lost their lives? And I remember sitting there in this meeting and I'm going, thinking to myself, God, why? Why, why did you even allow this to happen? And as stories are being shared in this meeting, I'm going, God, this is like, why would you even allow this to happen? Why are we sitting here today? Why did we have to go through this? And there's tears and people are, you know, sharing stories and there's tears and all this is happening. And I'm going, man, God, why? And some of you in the next few weeks are going to walk through that. Some of you in this room are going to start feeling that way in the next few weeks as we get closer. Some of you are walking through other things in your life that, that are really hard. And I love what we're going to talk about next week in verse 33. It says this, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen? He's overcome the world. We have nothing. We can take heart in that. We can have peace that he's overcome the world when we're walking through hard times. So I urge you, follow the way of Christ. Follow the path towards joy in him. And understand that this path also at times can be hard. There can be sorrow. Gratefully, the path towards joy keeps going. It's one of perplexing sorrow, but also Jesus shares that it's a path of abundant joy. This is the good part, right? It's abundant joy. He says in verse 20, second part, he says, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And then he says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will, or will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In the middle of verse 20, Jesus continues his explanation for the disciples. You remember, they were confused. They, they didn't understand, and they didn't know why Jesus was leaving and all of this. Well, he continues his explanation in just a little while. He says, you will not see me, and you will be sorrowful. But in a little while after that, you will see me again, and your sorrow will turn into abundant joy. So the disciples are finding out that for them to experience the joy of the resurrection, they first have to experience the grief of Jesus' death on the cross. And in the same way that life comes from death, joy comes from sadness. And this is the way it's been ever since sin entered into the world. In the Old Testament, the, psalm writer, the psalmist writer says this, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. He says to the Lord, You have turned for me my morning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. True, deep, lasting joy always comes at the expense of sadness and loss. And in the same way that Jesus' resurrection came at the expense of his death. 
And then Jesus gives us this beautiful illustration. He provides us with this illustration. He says this, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow. Amen, women? Moms, is he right? I mean, I've experienced this firsthand. I'll never forget when, when my first daughter came we were uh, going to the hospital, and my wife was in labor, and, and we get into this, and she's, she's literally in labor for, I don't even remember how many hours, it was like 20-some hours to where they, um, um, she's in labor, I'm, I'm like sitting there while she's in pain, and I'm trying to figure out what to do what's right, right? Because we never know what's right, we never know what to do, and so we're just trying to be there for them, and, and I'm walking through this, and I'm going, man, God, get me out of here, I don't want to be in here right now, this is nuts, you know? And my wife she's over there in pain and, and, and suffering. And, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And they say that the, the closest thing to this would be like having a kidney stone, right? And so I've had a kidney stone and it brought me literally to, to the floor of the emergency room where I sat on the floor in the emergency room yelling for help. And I was crying and I was like in the most pain I have ever been in in my life. And I don't want to say like, I know what you're going through, babe, because I'd be sleeping on the couch or kicked out of the house. But I got a little bit of a taste of what it might be, right? And I can't even understand what my wife went through or, or what a mom goes through in that moment where they're actually giving birth and, and the pain and the sorrow that they go through. And when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow. And Jesus says, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. Why? Jesus says that the joy of holding her new child so exceeds the anguish of birthing the child that she can rem can't remember the anguish. I remember holding my baby girl when she first came out, and 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 my wife was laying next to me, and, and I'm holding her, and I'm like, look, and, and she's like, oh, she's so beautiful, and I'm going, I don't know what you're seeing, like... No baby, I'm sorry you can judge me, but no baby is cute. I just don't think so. They look like aliens when they come out. And so I'm sitting there holding my baby girl, and my wife's like, she's so cute. I'm like, I don't know what you're seeing. Like, this is so untrue, but I'm here, have joy. This is awesome. We've, we got a baby, you know? But she found so much joy in that. And a mom, when she has the baby, when she's done suffering, she finds joy in the fact of new life. And so do moms suffer through pregnancy and birth? Absolutely. And Jesus says, she has sorrow, but looming on the horizon and overshadowing all of her pain is the prospect of this new life. And so, even though they suffer, pregnant and birthing moms also have this eager expectation of joy. And it was the exact same for Jesus and the cross. In Hebrews 12, it says that Jesus endured the cross because of the joy set before him. In other words, Jesus knew on the other side of that cross, on the other side of that suffering, is glory, resurrection, eternal life, the new heaven and, and new earth. The expectation of that joyous future allowed him to en en and enabled him to endure the cross with joy. 
And some of you are going through your own suffering today. And man, I want to ask, how do we do this? How, how do we go through struggles in our life and have joy? It sounds so weird, right? Is a struggle hard? Yes. Does it hurt sometimes? Yes. Are you sad? Yes. But there is incomparable joy just on the horizon of your pain. And likewise, God is calling us to view our sorrow and suffering the same way that Jesus viewed the cross. Was being crucified hard? Yeah. Did it hurt? Was there pain? Yes. It didn't feel good. But there was resurrection joy just on the other side of this suffering. And the rest, when we look at suffering, man, it seems like times where we're walking through trials, where we're walking through hardship, seems like when God brings those into our, our life, he's trying to teach us something, right? It's very easy when we actually aren't going through trials. It's easy when we're not in those moments to actually forget and kind of be like, okay, yeah, I, I serve a good God and like, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm good, right? Everything's going well for us. But when Jesus or when God actually puts us through a trial, what is he doing? He's helping us understand that we need to be obedient and faithful and he has something to teach us in that moment and he puts us through this. I love this passage. It's one of my favorite passages, uh, one of my favorite books of the Bible, James. But James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or perseverance. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How do we get to this point? How do we get to the point where we actually can endure trials? Man, we have to be grounded in the Word of God. We have to actually prepare ourselves ahead of time. It's not like, oh, here comes a trial, and I'm in it now, and now I'm going to go to God. Now I'm going to start studying Scripture because I need it now, and now I need to walk through it. We need to be in the Word of God and, and, and being faithful to that so that when the trial comes, we know how to handle it. We know how to have joy. We're prepared for it. Earlier this year, some friends of mine in another state, they, they were expecting their first baby, and, and um, Joey and Lily, and, and they were expecting their first baby. They were so happy about it. They were like, man, this is going to be great. And they come to the hospital. They have their baby, and this new baby girl, they, they have it in the hospital. The first thing they do, they're wrapping it in those cute clothes, because everybody knows you got to wrap them in the cute clothes to make them cute. And... Um, so they're wrapping them in these cute clothes and they're actually taking all these pictures and, and they're posting them all over Facebook and Instagram and, and we're looking at them and they're like, oh my gosh, we're so happy for them and they're having so much joy and they're loving it and it was awesome for them to walk in that joy. 
And about 12 hours after she had the baby, the nurses came in and they, and they were um, taking care of the baby. And they're like, something's not right. We need to take the baby back and, and we need to, you know, do some tests on her and, and, and some stuff like that. So they took her back, you know, procedure and, and, and they were doing some tests. And, and then all of a sudden now the baby is on life support. And I can't imagine the struggle that they were going through. And they lost their new baby girl after they held her and the joy, and she was healthy. And they went through this struggle. And I, I remember about two weeks afterwards, I, I was texting with Joey, and I, I was just telling him, man, hey, I'm praying for you as you walk through this, and, and you, know, you know, God has a plan, and I'm trying to help him understand, you know, God's good, and, and all these things, and you, you don't want to be that guy that, oh, God's good, you know, but I'm just telling him, I'm praying for him, and I'm encouraging him, and trying to just be there for him, and he texts me back this, nothing else, he says, we serve an amazing God, We'll never understand. We just have to trust in his plan for us. I hate it. It breaks my heart. But I know he knows something we didn't. His plan is most important. That's all he texts me. And I was like, how in the world, two weeks later, can you have that perspective? He was grounded in the word of God so that when the storm came, he was ready for it. And Joey and Lily had a joy in their sorrow because of the truth of the gospel and what they know. Let's follow Jesus in our perplexing sorrow, and let's follow him towards the abundant joy that is ours when we see him again. The pursuit of joy is Christ. Uh, in Christ takes us through deep sorrow, finally reaching abundant joy. But Jesus adds another element here in verse 23 and 24. He shares this confident boldness that we can have to approach God. There's a confident boldness that we have to approach God. In 23 it says, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have, asked, or you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. In verse 23, Jesus continues to instruct his disciples, and he says that in that day when they receive the resurrection joy, that no one can take that away. He says at that point they will ask nothing else of him. Right now, Jesus understands that the disciples are completely confused. They're going through this. They're asking all these questions, right? They don't understand right now, and so they're asking these questions of, of Jesus, and Jesus literally says, and he's referring to the resurrection, he says, man, when you get to that point, when you see the resurrection and the glory in it, you will have no more questions for me. You will understand fully what I'm talking about and how I'm trying to lead you to this. And all of this, these questions will go away. You won't have these questions because you'll understand it. And we see Peter eventually, he embraces this, right? 
Later, we see in Acts 2 that he's so confident and bold that at the day of Pentecost, he, he literally gets up and speaks. And what does he do? He preaches the message of, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ with boldness and joy and confidence. And he knows. And thousands come to Jesus that day. Well, here in John 16, Jesus is essentially predicting that moment later in Acts 2. He says in verse 23, in that day, you will ask nothing of me because you're going to have a fuller understanding of what I'm up to. In other words, as confused and questioning as you are in John 16, eventually you're going to be outmatched by all the confidence that you will have and clear. You'll have a clarity. And so... Furthermore, he goes on to say in verse 24, not only are you not going to have to ask me any questions, but you will then be able to make all your requests known to the Father. Jesus says that once his work on the cross and his resurrection from the grave and, and the outpouring of the Spirit are all accomplished at that point, the disciples won't have to ask Jesus for anything else because why? They'll have a direct line to the Father. As the Apostle Paul will later write in Ephesians 2.18, it says, Through Jesus, we both, Jews and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. This new access straight to the Father is what Jesus is just about to accomplish for his disciples and for you and I today. And this free, wide-open access is a huge part of our joy. It's a huge part of our confidence as followers of Christ. I don't know if you've ever been through a, a, a medical thing where you had to go see a specialist, but I've been, had four surgeries in the last four years and I'm done. Um, but you have to go see your doctor, your primary doctor first. And then, you know, that doctor, he, uh, you have to have them do whatever checkup and then they got to give you a, a referral and then you got to take that referral and you got to make an appointment with the specialist. And then the specialist is going to make you an appointment and you're going to get there for your appointment. And then she's going to hand you a huge list to fill out and you're going to have to sit in the waiting room and fill all this list out and then go back and see her and talk to her. And then she's going to finally take you down to the room where you're going to wait 10 minutes. And then all of a sudden there's going to be a nurse that comes in that asks you the same exact questions that you just filled out on the paper because she didn't read the paper and God knows like she's, she's just trying to do her job. And so, you know, it, it's just a process. And then, and then once you're done with that, she's going to leave and you're going to sit in the room for another 10 minutes until finally the doctor comes in. The person you want to see where you can go to him and ask and get what you need. But Jesus is saying here on the day of his resurrection and upon the outpouring of his spirit, when God's plan of salvation is complete, you'll have direct access to the Father. We have direct access to God. He says, in that day you will ask nothing of me, and whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Now, Jesus isn't going to, or God isn't going to give you whatever you want, obviously. It's not like he's a genie in the bottle and you can just say, Holy Spirit, come down and then give me, you know, a, a nice new car or whatever. That's not what he's saying here. To ask in Jesus' name is to ask in line with his will for that which will further his kingdom and his glory. 
And for some of us in here today, man, we've had those prayer moments where we've asked in his name and we've thought that it's going to further his kingdom and his glory and we thought it was all right and God hasn't answered those prayers in the way that we thought and we're confused and we're like, wait a minute. God, I thought this was to further your kingdom. I thought it was for your glory. Like, this is a good thing. Why? And sometimes we have to trust that he has a greater plan, that he's faithful, that he loves us, that he knows. The question is, are you taking advantage of your full and free access to God that we have in Christ and by the Spirit? So I want to ask again, where are you pursuing happiness? Where are you looking for joy? This morning, if you're in this room, if you're hearing my voice, then your journey towards joy has led you here. It's led you to this moment of hearing maybe the gospel. It's led you here. And it's a journey, right? It's a journey. But it's a journey that doesn't stop at the cross, right? It doesn't stop at, at the death. It doesn't stop when, when your, the money line runs out. It doesn't stop when, when the relationship fails you. It doesn't stop when, when your accomplishments fail you. It doesn't stop when, when someone lets you down. It doesn't stop at that. Those things aren't going to satisfy. It's a fullness of joy that no one can take away. It's a joy that secured by Jesus' resurrection from the dead and the promise that we too can experience eternal life both now and forever. Amen? So wherever you find yourself this morning, whatever trial you're walking through, maybe you're not, maybe you just need to prepare yourself for the trial that's coming. Maybe you know someone that's going through a trial and you actually need to come alongside them and help them through that. We're the church. We need to be there for each other. Just know that the fullness of joy comes only through the Father, comes only through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And maybe for you today, you just need to put your faith in that. I pray that you wouldn't leave without knowing Jesus this morning. Let's pray. God, we come before you humbled. Lord, I thank you so much for your son. I thank you that you gave freely so that we could have eternal life with you, Father. I thank you that, God, as weird as it sounds, I thank you for the trials that you put into our life that you allow us to walk through so that we can experience real joy in you and who you are. God, I pray for each individual in here, Lord, if they're walking through something, God, that they would know that you love them, you want what's best for them. God, I pray that we as the church would come around those people, that we would love those people, Lord, and that people would see a difference in us. Thank you for the fullness of joy in you, Father. Pray that we would never forget it. We pray all this in your name. Amen.